Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. Today we have a very special guest, my buddy Luis Roquet. Uh, we've been buddy. We started off kind of exchanging emails back and forth, you know, just similar hobby interests. And Luis is one of the few people that actually, you know, I gave my number to, which was a pretty big deal. And it was because of the fact that when Luis approached me, he had something he wanted to send me. And as for my number, it was one of those deals where he actually explained, took the time to explain why he was not a creep, which I thought was, I still love that story. We've, we've already <laughs> gone through this a couple times now, but it was just, I am one of those people that's very private. I've talked about before that although, you know, I do all this stuff online with the podcast and the YouTube, my family life and everything here, you know, getting through to actual me is, is tough. And that's only because, you know. I have boundaries, but when somebody comes and says, hey, let me explain to you why you can trust me and why I won't creep and show up you know, at your house at 12 o'clock at night asking questions, that's going the extra yard as far as I'm concerned, which was great. So we've, we've become actual friends now, and he's also a huge resource to me because if ever I require a paper or need a paper of something scientific in nature, I can just ask Luis and I'm going to get that paper, which has been amazing. He's bailed me out many, many times over the years when I'm talking about stuff and I'm like, I think there's a paper for this. And <laughs> sure enough, there is. And he also runs a Facebook group, a very special Facebook group called Arachnido. So please welcome Luis Roque. Thank you for having me, my friend. Uh, happy to be here. I think we've been looking forward uh, to this for a while now, so uh, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to have you, and, and again, we've talked about this for a while, and I think one of the things that's tough and people don't realize is I don't do this professionally. It's something I work as a teacher full-time. The Tom's Big Spider stuff is my my hobby, and I have a family at home, Everything you know, a lot of stuff going on at all times, so trying to coordinate guests is very difficult for me only because there's some days that stuff pops up on a weekend. You have kids and stuff. You plan to meet up with somebody. It doesn't work out. Luis, same thing for you with you. Yeah. You work, I mean, you have family. Uh, everyone forgets, right? Life happens. Life happens. Um, and it's been a weird year. Uh, and everyone Indeed. would think, oh, well, now we're more available, right? We're home. Um, we can get a hold of people. But it's not. It, no. that's not the case. It's actually been more difficult, I think, um, especially for me, simply because I have been at home. Uh, work kind of has taken over, you know, I felt more detached before where I could, you know, walk into work. I knew that there was a time where yep. I was going to get in my car, go home. And now I feel like I'm at work all the time. Um, and I think that's happened to a lot of people. Yep. I definitely hear you've been doing a lot of teaching from at home and it's just weird thing, but luckily we're finally able to make this work twice. Actually, this is our second go around. <laughs> Maybe we'll yeah, allude I, to that. We should just, I <laughs> we say we clue we in everyone and let them know how we spent 93 <laughs> fantastic minutes <laughs> last week doing this and it all went to went to hell it did we actually met up finally last weekend after how many weeks of trying to coordinate this we got on we recorded it we went on for i believe it was an hour and hour and 40 minutes i think when yeah. we were done yeah. and that was not all the chit chat beforehand because you know we're buddies we're sitting there we're chatting about tarantulas it was great and i think it went fantastically billy and i went to go work up the house afterwards i get a, a text from louise hey how does it sound i'm like i'm sure it sounds great i got home it didn't sound great. The levels were off, so one of us sounded super loud. It was this guy. One of us sounded, you know, great, but much more quiet. It kind of ruined the whole thing. So it was a long one. It was, I thought it was an amazing discussion. 
but it just wasn't one that I could post. So we got back together. Here we are. We're actually smart enough this time to test the mics out to kind of do a recording ahead of time to make sure the levels are good. And now they're going to sound great, I hope. And now we're going to have a really good podcast. And now that we've kind of rehearsed it, it should be even better. So they say practice makes perfect. Practice right? makes so. perfect. So <laughs> we, we won't the, sound rehearsed at all. At all. We'll probably be <laughs> laughing at some point because we're going to be using the same jokes we used last time. And it's kind of that, you know, he knows. Oh, that, that's crazy. Yeah. They, he knows that I did this one already. So <sighs> it, it'll be good, though. And I'm glad that we could get you back. And obviously, yeah, it's, we plan on, even when we we're doing the last podcast, the first attempt of it, we came up with other topics that we'd love to talk about. Because for me, it's like we were talking about earlier. It's tough sometimes because I'm a teacher and I'm very used to working with people in front of me and bouncing off of people. And with the videos, you know, I have Billy there. We have some interaction, obviously, but it's not the same as talking to somebody specifically about this stuff. So I'm really excited to actually have somebody that knows about this stuff, knows about tarantulas, knows about spiders, true spiders, all that to actually have a conversation with. Appreciate that. Appreciate it. This will be good. So it's not like we've done it before. So here we go. (laughs) So surprise questions here. Number one, you have the Facebook group Arachnido. It's not like your regular Facebook groups, though. And it is one of the things I'm assuming some people will check it out after this podcast. I hope they do. But they kind of need to be informed that this isn't your standard run of the mill. Hey, post up pictures of your LP type Facebook group. Explain a bit about your group, about Arachnido. What is the aim of the group? Yeah, so the group was really uh, kind of a, the second attempt. Um, I had originally started um, my first group, and that was uh, Preclarum Terafosida. But when I started that group, it wasn't really intended to be a group. I started that as a blog. I had it online as a blog. Someone reached out to me, and a few people had reached out to me by email and said, well, why don't you just turn it into a group? Um, You'll get more engagement that way. There are more people in, on Facebook. And I've always been somewhat hesitant with social media. Um, and I'm sure we'll discuss that later on during this podcast um, or as to why the reasons why I, I was hesitant. But I, I gave in. But I gave in and I think I gave in a bit too early uh, without really a clear... Um, I, I really didn't set down what it was that I wanted that group to be. And it's funny because you see all these journals, right, for people who are going to start podcasts and you should know your audience. What is it that you want this to be about? Who do you want to engage? Uh, If you're going to have guests, what type of guests? And I never did any of that. Obviously, this wasn't a podcast. It was a group. But I think you should do the same thing. You should do your homework. Yeah. If not, it ends up being very scattered. Um, And after a while, I kind of became... There were multiple things that happened. I became a little bit disillusioned. And at the same time, I was kind of disappointed at the direction that that group took simply because it wasn't what I intended. Meaning I didn't, uh, I didn't really have the, the forevision to see what that group might turn into. And that wasn't what I wanted. Um, so this time I said, no, uh, I'm not going to head in that direction again. This is the intention of the group. This is what I want the group to look like. This is the audience that I want. Uh, in the group. And that really means that it's going to sound bad and, and it's not what it's intended to sound like. But I didn't care if I had 100 members, 10 members, 600 members, 1,000 members. I just wanted to ensure that those who were part of the group were there because they wanted to be there. Not because they were invited. Um, not because it was a popularity contest. Not because others were a part of the group. But because they're there because they're interested in taxonomy. Period. So when I made that decision, I said, this is what it's going to be about. Um, 
So I've worked at it. You know, I've worked at it almost a year now uh, to ensure that I had individuals join the group, which I'm pretty humbled by because there are members of that group that are part of the scientific community, that are taxonomists, that are arachnologists, uh, that work for large institutions. And, you know, they're busy. These are individuals that are extremely busy and they've taken the time out to participate in this group and they've taken the time out um, to answer questions from time to time, comment, and and it's worked out. You know, I'm I'm really happy with uh, with the direction this group has taken versus what had happened to me before. And I'm kind of glad that I made those mistakes along the way. I think yep. sometimes you make these mistakes and you learn from them if you learn from them, right? Yeah. Um, you can improve on them, and and I think that's what I've done with this group. And I think that's what's what makes it stand out to me. And again, I, I'm a part of a lot of groups, and I don't mean this in a negative way whatsoever. But I don't participate at all. Like it's it's I get the invites, and I feel sometimes mm-hmm. people that I've communicated with, the people that you know, there were a couple that I joined in the past that I used to kind of dabble in. But for me, I just don't have that. I mean, it comes down to time, honestly. I think there are a lot of awesome groups. I love the fact that because we are kind of a we're a strange little hobby. And uh, there aren't a lot of people out there for many of us in our actual real lives that appreciate tarantulas that you can sit there and have these conversations and you can show a picture of your tarantula and go, hey, this is my newest acquisition and have them show the same excitement you want them to show. So I think the Facebook groups do serve a purpose for that. But yours is so much different because it's focusing more on the intellectual side of it, the taxonomy. Right. And I knew that, right? I knew that this is... Um, that my intent with the group and the individuals that I was going to attract or not attract for that matter, were going to be very specific. And I've lost some people along the way that I'm sure went on to the group and were like, well, this is not what I thought. But I've always tried to make it very clear from the very beginning. I've posted announcements. I've, yep. I've commented about certain things. Um, unfortunately, I've had individuals who've tried to post to the group because the group is locked for for posting privileges. I have opened it up in terms of there are individuals that are members of the group, which I just mentioned, um, arachnologists, biologists, entomologists, all the uh, other ologists, yep. you know, um, part of the scientific community that I've given them and I've told them straight out, you have uh, post privileges without me having to approve it. Because let's say, like you just mentioned before, we all have a life. If I'm out and about and somebody wants to post something that's of importance to the group, I don't want to have to have them dependent on me yep, yep. to actually go ahead and, and, and post this. So those individuals do have, everyone else does not have privileges. Um, and from time to time, I'll get the person who wants, hey, look at my XYZ spider or, hey, look at my enclosure. Or yeah. <laughs> I think that's unavoidable, but yes, I think yes. they've caught on. They've ca- I think the, yep. the vast majority of individuals on the group have caught on that. Well, I think I'm there's so many it. out there that, that's what they're about that it's it's right. it can be jarring i get it i mean for me it was like wow this is great because you know you can just take in the information it's like we've spoken before about arachnoboards i'm not active on arachnoboards but god is there a ton of great information there sometimes i find myself losing myself in the, the arachnoboards rabbit hole where i just go back to like 2005 what were they saying about the species then what was there's great info there and for some of us that like lurking and like kind of just taking information in, I think that would be a place where it's you don't have to feel like you have to throw up pictures all the time. You don't have to feel like, you know, you can have to answer beginner questions or whatnot. You can just go on and kind of bask in the type of information that's coming at you. Yeah. And, and look, again, 
I think there are a lot of great resources, and you and you brought up arachnoboards. Um, my experience, unfortunately, might not be the same as anyone else's or someone else's experience with the boards. Some people might be very keen on the boards and their experience very yeah. positive. Sadly for me, my experience has not been positive. It's not just arachnoboards, just um, social media in general. Yep, yep. It's uh, become very, it, it's just, a. It's to me at least, it's become a very toxic environment. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> um, and the things that are said and that you see and that others, you know, just comment um, with, without any hesitance whatsoever, knowing that their name is attached to it. And they'll just be in your face about, uh, be rude, just disrespectful. And I, not that I needed to do this, but I've done that in the group and I posted an announcement not too long ago, uh, just kind of reminding everyone, you know, etiquette. Um, there are individuals on this group, again, like I just mentioned, they're professionals. They don't have to be here. Yep. Uh, don't dare get out of line and don't, you know, insult or don't say anything that's going to be disrespectful, not just to them, but to anyone, uh, because I will very quickly just, you know, say goodbye yep. and block you and uh, you'll never see that group again. But it, it's it, it's sad that this day and age you have to do that, that you have to remind people not to be disrespectful, that you have to remind people, um, you know, how to behave, how to act. Adults, right? Yes. Yep. I understand doing that with a child, but we've, we're having to do that with adults, and it's it's kind of a sad, <laughs> it's a sad situation. Well, I just had the recently, one of my recent podcasts was over the fact that I got sucked into one of these things, and it's like, I work with teenagers, have for years, I get enough drama just at work, in school that I don't need it on the boards, and it does it. That's one of the reasons I avoid it, I think, is because of the fact that, A, there's you know there's a lot of good. I don't want this to be a whole pooing all over social media because that's no, not what no, it's about. No, no, not at all. That's it's, not what this it's is about. recognizing how much negativity do I want in my life. Do I want, when I can avoid it, do I want to encounter it? And I think you get some really good stuff, and then you get the ones that, like, I can't tell you. The last time I popped on boards, I saw people just totally putting down somebody that asks, you know, God forbid you ask a beginner question. You go to a public forum. Sure, you've heard the question a million times. But this person hasn't. And then they do the whole, you know, why aren't you doing your research stuff, which just completely turns the person off. And it, it does nobody any good. And that type of stuff, even even if it stays somewhat civil, really irritates me. That's a lot of the people. I can tell you, anybody out there that's answered beginner questions and you're getting frustrated, I've probably answered more than 100 times what you've answered. And I'm mm -hmm. not saying that in a braggadocious way. It's the truth. I've been doing this for years, and I get a lot of these questions on videos. On you know, People are afraid to even post on my videos sometimes. I'll get like, hey, can I get your email address? Yeah, sure, no problem. And then they'll email me, and it's a very basic question. They're like, I just didn't want somebody to tear into me. And that's sad. And then there's the other thing where people, like you said, they feel like they can say whatever their, their name is right there. They can say whatever they want, and they don't realize we're a small community, it's going to get back to people. It's, you know, my, my podcast specifically focused on there are a lot of new vendors and dealers and breeders out there that I think their social media personas are pretty deplorable. And I, we won't get into cancel culture or any of that garbage, but I do think as somebody who is buying and considers myself to be a pretty decent human being, if I see that person's name attached to something, I'm going to avoid it because I'm not supporting that. And that's something you're shooting yourself in the, uh, in the foot as a business. You're exposing yourself to be a pretty terrible human being, and that gets very difficult to take. Yeah, and they're quick to do it, right? Um, mm -hmm. They'll get torn to shreds. In no time. I've seen things escalate where you see the conversation um, and minutes later, 
someone's just completely tearing into someone else. And yep. you're like, whoa, like, where did that come from? Uh, or someone would jump in out of left field and you're like, wow. Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, How did we go uh, from one I, to 10? Right. And you're like, you know what? I am uh, now exiting. Goodbye. Yep. Yep. You know, see ya. And uh, I, think that's I don't want comes, any part of this. And that's where it comes down to the avoidance. And that's where I think... You know, I, I don't want to turn into a big thing bashing social media because it's got its place and I do dabble in it, obviously, but there's a reason I'm not on Facebook all that much. But I think with Aragnito, for people who are more serious, you know, they could, f the ones that want that information that don't want all the, you know, possible drama, it's a great place for that. So to sum it up, who, what type of person is going to join this group and appreciate it? Um, I think all levels, you know, I think that's, that's one of the neat things about the group, and one of the things that has surprised me the most is that there are individuals in the group right now who are beyond amateurs in terms of not necessarily keeping, but in terms of knowledge yep. uh, or tax, in terms of taxonomy in general, you know, um, and that's great because it's a wonderful learning environment, and you have, like I said, there are other individuals who are taxonomists. Yep. You know, they're at the highest level of what this group was intended to 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 cater to, you know. Um, and a, the other part of the group or, or the other purpose for the group is to provide individuals that really don't have access maybe to a lot of this taxonomic data and information firsthand. Yep. And I say this because I, there's, again, I'll explain why not everyone understands um, how these paper, how these papers, I'm sorry, are published? Where are they published? Some are open access, what's called open access. Some are not. Mm -hmm. Some are behind paywalls. They're not true paywalls, but these are publishing companies that put out, um, whether it be medical journals. I've been involved with medical journals from a human medical journal standpoint, yep. so I'm more familiar with it. Um, you need to be very careful on publishing these or you have to be very careful on whether you just I am lucky enough to work for an academic institution. So I have access to all these papers. I have access to all these journals. I have all of these alerts set up uh, to feed me data and information. And I get my email is constantly barraged by, you know, because I have keywords out there, you know, Theta Fossi, Theta Fossi, uh, Megalomorph. Um, I can put whatever keywords and every yep. time a new paper is out, I'll get hit and boom, here That's it awesome. is. So I can, again, I am, the intention is really not for me to put every single paper that is published out in the group, but anything that for me at least is interesting and that gotcha. I think would be interesting for others, I will put out and I'll, I'll always place the links. The only time I will put a paper on there, like a PDF, uh, will be when it's an open source uh, journal or an open source paper, and it specifically says, you know, Creative Commons, open source, blah, blah, gotcha. blah, yep. just to cover my own. But yep. believe it or not, with the other group, I had a few instances, one or two times that I don't know how it happened. I'm assuming somebody reported it or somebody said something to Facebook. And then they one time they kind of not closed down the group, but it disappeared for a while and then oh, it man. reappeared. Yeah. So... <laughs> I'm always wary of that, wary, and yeah, I always no, make totally sure that yeah. I do it that I do it correctly. Um, but I think it this group encompasses everything from the novice to you know to the professional, um, and it's 
look, I, 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 the way that I see it is if you can learn along the way, you don't have to join this group and be an expert in taxonomy. But if you're interested enough to where you want to get more information, then I think the group is for you. Um, if you have questions, you can ask. My email is there as well. I've had several people reach out to me and ask me, hey, what does this mean? What does that mean? Uh, I've instructed several people on how to go through some of these papers, what to pay attention to. It, it's overwhelming to tell someone who has no experience with looking at these papers or taxonomy to go through a 68-page yep. paper, right? They're looking at it like, what in God's name am I reading? What is this about? And I always tell people, look, concentrate. If you're not that knowledgeable, concentrate on the title. What is the paper about? Look at the abstract. You know, the abstract is going to tell you that's the that's the meat and potatoes yeah. right there. It sums it up. It's yep. right there in front of you. And at the very least, go to the conclusion. And if you put the abstract and the conclusion together, and then you can start to pick up on things along the way uh, in the body of the paper. As you start to read these papers and you start to read and look up terminology, Google's your best friend, right? Some of the terminology might be confusing, Google it. Then when you start to read other papers, it all starts to come together. You know, I have people who have no experience in the sciences whatsoever come back to me a year later and say, well, I've spent a year reading. I've spent a year researching. I've spent a year looking at, you know, certain definitions, certain words on Google, and I'm nowhere where I was a year ago. A year ago, I was completely ignorant to what these papers even were trying to say <laughs> to the layperson. And they're not meant for the layperson. That's the other thing. Yeah. These papers are, uh, they're scientific. You know, they are meant for the scientific community. They're not meant for, but I, I think, you know, we all benefit from it. Um, and we'll get into the hobby. We'll get why I think it'll benefit the hobbyists. Um, and that has to do with just the more knowledge you gain. Uh, I think it, it it's it's one of these opportunities uh, in terms of this hobby that I don't think other hobbyists or or other individuals that keep other animals um, have the same opportunity that we do. I couldn't agree more. And I think for folks out there that are trying to get into this, you know, one of the first things that kind of leads you into that scientific side of the hobby is learning the dreaded scientific names. I get a lot of questions about the scientific names and, you know, there's obviously been many debates. I think I did a years ago, did an article about why I thought they were important. I did a podcast about why I thought they were important. And I think for a lot of people that are just getting into the hobby for the first time, they're frustrating. They don't get them. Mm -hmm. They don't understand the importance of them. They don't understand why should I learn this really complicated name that seemingly everybody argues over how it's pronounced when I can just learn this other very, you know, easy name. So for folks who aren't familiar with scientific names or binomial nomenclature, can you give a, an explanation of what these are and, you know, why they're so important? Yeah, Um I think the easiest way to explain, um, so you have two parts to your, your, your scientific classification or scientific name. This is for all living creatures, which is what you just mentioned, binomial uh, nomenclature. One identifies first name, we'll call it first and last name to make it simpler, genus and the species. Um, the species, the second you'll hear referred to as an epithet. Um, and it's, it, it, at, at the very core, it, it's universal, right? It, it, it acts as a universal placement of this living creature. You can't mistake it. So if I'm having a conversation with somebody in Germany, Australia, China, 
wherever it is that I'm having a conversation with, the, they're going to know what specific um, animal I'm speaking about, right? What creature, what what living creature I'm speaking of. There's no confusing it. Yep. My problem with individuals, and you've run into it, who are hobbyists, who say, well, why should I care? Well, you should care because common names uh, here in the nor- in North America or in the U.S. are not the same as in Chile. They're not the same common yep. name in, in Mexico. They're not the same common name in Poland. They're not the same common name in other countries. You might get, you know, one genus and one species, and you might come up with 12 or 13 different common names worldwide. That's just going to create confusion. Um, it's just... Again, there's a specific reason for this uh, from a scientific perspective, right? From a from a scientific yep. purpose. But in terms of the hobbyist, when they ask me, when anyone asks me a question, why should I care? Well, you should care because it's it's a process that's universal, right? Uh, it makes everything nice and neat and tidy, and it allows to avoid confusion. That way you don't have any confusion. When you're speaking to other people somewhere else, yep. there's no confusing this. No one's ever going to come back to you and say, well, I thought you were talking about this spider versus this spider. Um, it, it makes it global Yep, is what I'm getting at. Yep. And I think it, it's funny because you bring that part up, and we've discussed this before. One of my favorite parts of the hobby is the fact that I do get to talk to people from all around the world, hobbyists from all different you know walks of life, different countries, and hear about the hobby. And when you start getting into the common name part of it, that's when you start to recognize that, hey, you know, over in France, this might not be referred to as the same thing. Over in Chile, it might not be the same thing. Over in the Philippines, they might have something totally different. We've even got confusion in our own country, like just English-speaking folks in the United States. I was just emailed two days ago somebody saying that they bought a red leg tarantula and referred to it as a red leg. And the entire time I was thinking, be Amelia, no problem. All right, you know, <laughs> I, I got this. So I started giving them some general information. Well, the next email comes back, a picture of it, and it was actually a Brachypelma hamori. So again, that's one of those ones where the the care of them is so similar, it's not really a big deal, but there are other instances where this, you're talking about two very different spiders, and there can be confusion around the common names. And before anybody you know freaks out like, oh God, I've, I've emailed Tom with common names, I'm totally okay with people emailing me with common names. I yeah, that's, you know, I don't think that's, that's what we're yeah, saying. That's, right, I want right. to make that clear because I've had people before be like, oh, I didn't think you were a snob about that. No, 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 no. I totally expect that. I've been doing it for years. My only issue is that some Sometimes, you know, when people, I'll use scientific names and I've had people tell me, yeah, I have to Google every time you use a scientific name to see what the common name is. It's vice versa for me. When somebody uses a common name, I have to sometimes Google it and go, all right, what are, what exactly are we talking about here before I screw up and give them the wrong information? So I think just across, I don't think people think about the fact that across country lines, you know, internationally, these names don't always line up and that can cause confusion, especially when we're talking about public forums where we're talking about spiders and even some of the names kind of overlap and sound similar, which can also cause confusion, where if you're dealing with scientific names, each one has its own individual name. Yeah, and then, uh, so look, perfect example of this is uh, in the hobby, and it's not just with tarantulas. Um, I like the plurids. Same thing happens with the plurids, right? You have um, a multitude of spiders and animals coming into the hobby uh, that are being labeled. It could be, 
you know, the common trapdoor, the pleurids, other yep. megalomorphs, other tarantulas. And you're seeing the same label on these spiders, right? And I'm not 100% convinced that it's what they are. Yep. <laughs> you know, that's just my take. And I've been meaning to reach out. I have actually in the past reached out to a number of people that are, are more familiar. Um, and they, they agree. They agree that there are a lot of, uh, of spiders right now in the hobby that are sitting in, in enclosures in people's homes that are similar perhaps to another one in the same gene, but it's not the same. It's spider. not the same spider. Right. It's not the same spider. And uh, that's a whole different subject. I think that's a yeah. whole different, but I'm, I'm giving just an example here of, and, and eventually it will come out. Eventually someone will do uh, a revision or a taxonomic uh, assessment and they'll be like, well, yeah, th in fact, this was X, Y, and Z, yep. not necessarily X. Um, again, different conversation but yeah late, lately I, i've had a, a bit of a it's been a pet peeve of mine that i'm looking at some things that are out there for sale and i'm like oh i don't i don't know i'm not 100 uh, <laughs> i'm not 100 sure that that this is what it is what it says that it is i've been running into that with vermictopus lately because it seems like now that they've finally as far as i'm concerned garnered the attention that they've always deserved Mm -hmm. I think the hobby is recognized, ooh, people are really into these. And if we can find new exotic ones, and I'm starting to see a lot of them out there that I'm like, all right, we're just tacking on different towns that they're finding them in. And, you know, we get into that whole species thing, and that'll lead into our next question. But I wonder, is this really what it's supposed to be? I have purchased things that I planned on breeding that once they matured, I looked at them and go, you know what? I'm not sure what I have here. So I think that kind of neatly segues into the next part of this question, name changes. For some mm -hmm. of us, I find them exciting. For the most part, they're every once in a while, you know, the B. smithy was a hard one when we had the, when I realized that the, the spider that we referred to in the hobby for years is the B. smithy. One of the hobby staples was actually B. hemorii, I believe it's pronounced, or hemori. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talked about Bumba Cabocla is now Bumba Harita. That one killed me because I just, I had freely admitted that what attracted me to that spider originally, it was Maraca Cabocla. And I love the name of it. It just it sounded like some fancy dance or something. And that name changed. But I think I, we always joke, you know, it's time to get out your label maker and change them. And for those of us, I think that are a little more informed in the hobby, have been in it a little while longer, recognize that this is usually a very good thing for the hobby. However, I we were talking about the message I received on Facebook. I posted a video a long time ago when Smithy, we found out that it was basically, it wasn't so much a name change. We just found out that we had the species misidentified. Right. The one that was being sold as Smithy for years was actually the Hemorii. And somebody came on with just expletives basically saying, I'm not changing the name. The only reason people change the names is because they want to get famous and have people know who they are and there's no point to it. And it was one of those ones that a lot of times I get into these discussions with people and try to go, all right, well, let me explain it. And it, like, I was getting nowhere. This, this dude was upset over it, but it's not just him. I've heard it from other people. When you, anytime you post up something about name changes, somebody comes on and just talks about how the fact it's ridiculous. And this is why I can't use scientific names. And what is the point of this in the first place? So enlighten us what is the importance of quote-unquote name changes and what does it mean for the hobby and why should hobbyists I, personally i think be excited about it uh look um primarily i think it has to do with region it has to do with country what hemisphere you know where was it found in, in many cases or in the majority of cases you're talking about spiders that were originally 
uh, or the type material, let's say, or whatever material is sitting in a, in a museum, you know, dates back to the 1800s, right? Yep. Uh, if it even exists. If it just, is it something someone just uh, went ahead and wrote about and there's barely even a drawing of? So what's happened is that that, that has evolved, right? Science has evolved. So you now have, um, uh, you know, morphological characteristics that you use or that taxonomists use to, you know, to, to indicate what it is. Um, now there's, um, uh, I'm missing barcode, barcode DNA. Yep. Yep. So they're using, some are using barcode, which there's a whole huge, you know, there are two camps on this, you know? Uh, yep. Yeah, you have the purist who's like, don't use barcode DNA because it's basically just a small strand of DNA and you're using that to compare and, and that's how you're classifying. And the purist just says, absolutely not. You got to use morphological characteristics. Again, that is an entire podcast all on its own. Yep, yep. We could bring in other people and then we can have them duke it out. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Just sit back and watch it go down. <laughs> just sit back and just listen to them go at each other. No, in all seriousness, it 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 should you should be interested in that. It's um it's a historical analysis of the spider. You know, when was it found? Where was it found? Where was it originally found? What happened years later when they when they discovered that the spider you know was actually across a. a uh, in another country, yep. you know, where the, you thought maybe for 20, 30 years, I'm just setting an example, it was sitting just in Brazil, and now it happens to be sitting in Brazil and its next door neighbor. Um, all of these things affect taxonomic placement. All of these things affect the name changing. So the name, yes. So when people say, well, this is just scientific. Absolutely, it is. I mean, it really has no implications to you per yep. se as a hobbyist with that spider in your home. But if you take an interest in that, you're now taking an interest in its history. You're taking an interest that leads you to the country where it originated. In. You learn more about that country. You learn about the culture. You learn about the conditions where they actually find these spiders out in the field. This is why I'm such a huge advocate um, of Martin's oh, channel. Oh, God, yeah. Martin Husser, he takes you and puts you there, right? Andrew Smith takes you and puts you there. He places you there. Um, and I think if you use that data and you use that information and you put it all together, it makes you a more savvy hobbyist. It makes you a hobbyist that's more knowledgeable and that cares about these animals to a different level. Now you're just not keeping an animal in an enclosure, tossing in a cricket, changing its water, and closing the, you know, the door to that room and goodbye. And then I'll see yep. you in, you know, a few see days a or a yep. few hours. <laughs> right. Now you're vested. That's what I'm getting at. So yep. if you become a hobbyist that's vested in the animals that you keep, you are a, you're at a completely different level. And again, this is not just tarantulas. If you're a snake keeper and you, and you operate at that level, you're just a more savvy snake keeper. Reptiles in general, you're a more savvy and more knowledgeable reptile keeper. That way, when you get into a conversation, whether it be on a board, in person, on a phone, with a friend, it's not that you sound like you know what you're talking about. Now you know what you're talking about. You know you know exactly what the ins and outs are. And I think that goes a long way. I mean, this is not just about the hobby and about keeping animals. I, I just think as a whole, you, you, you want to be more knowledgeable, right? You want to have more knowledge. You want to be more, uh, I think, well-rounded. as an, I think we teach that to our kids all the time. Yep. At least I do. I try. The more you know in life, the better off you the better are. Better off you are. 
period. Yep. Um, and it's not for you to be a know-it-all. It's just for you to have this knowledge. What? Look, you're a teacher. What I learned, no one can take away from me. Yep. You know, it's one of those things, no matter what happens in life, uh, any knowledge gained is knowledge that you'll keep for the rest of your life. So to me, that's just a win-win. And that's yep. the situation with, with, uh, with the hobby and, and scientific names and, uh, and learning and, and why it's important. I think I love, I actually love the way you articulate it because it, in a way it pulls the hobby out of our homes. It's very easy. Like I'm sitting up here right now in my dream tarantula room with all these animals around me. And like you said, instead of just being a bunch of, Hey, I keep a bunch of spiders in plastic and, you know, glass bins and feed them. When you know about the names, you you learn the names, you start to learn where they come from, the regions, the the climate. You watch some of these like Martin's videos and uh, where you get to see where they actually are in the wild. It makes it, uh, for me, a more fulfilling hobby because now it's not just, you know, here's my little spider. Like for years, I, I talked about the fact that when we had the rose hair tarantula, my queen, we, we just called her the Rosie. It wasn't the G. Porteri. It wasn't the G. Rosea. It was, here's my Rosie. And I didn't know all that much about her. Now, mm -hmm. when people come over, one of the discussions, like we always start with, you know, the, the basics here, you know, these are the spiders. Can they bite? Yes, they bite. Can they, do they have venom? Yes. And then we, we lead into old world versus new world. And then sometimes for people that have been over a few times, you start getting into more of where they're found and the locales and how they live. So I do, I love the description of the fact that it, it in a way takes you out of your home. It makes the hobby it adds another level to the hobby as far as understanding not just what the creatures are like in captivity but what they would actually be like in the wild absolutely absolutely and i think that's the level i think that's i mean the main point you know that yeah. hits home is that one is uh it just takes you to a completely different level you're no longer just a hobbyist now you're vested yeah. and now you're vested and that interest grows beyond the hobby um and it can grow way beyond that. Many an arachnologist, many a biologist, uh, many a scientist that started as a hobbyist. And what kickstarted them and what got them to where they are at the level that they are today was the hobby. Yep. You know, was keeping these animals in captivity in their homes and being so amazed by them and, yep. and knowing that they were privileged enough, right, to keep these animals that they're like, well, I, I want to do more with this. And they expanded beyond that. So I, I think that's, I mean, that's the goal. I yeah. think that's the ultimate goal. And I think it, uh, with the, the point there, the fact that the majority, I think a lot of people do get to that point where they start spending more time finding out about them. And while I do think the hobby, and to be clear, can be enjoyed by people that don't spend as much time figuring that stuff out or for people that are like, you know what, I really don't care, which is sad. I would think that most people would want to learn more about them. But for folks that maybe are sitting there going, you know, I really don't need to know as long as I do my husbandry, you know, have my husbandry correct, they're set up correctly. A lot of that stuff is superfluous information. I don't need to know it. The other aspect of it is for those people that don't get beyond the, the walls of the hobby itself and get into, you know, the more scientific side of it, the importance is still there because I'll bring up, you know, for Mictopus as an example. We have a lot of spiders in the hobby, and I've had people ask me, why is it? Why do we have so many of these ones that have SP, species? Mm -hmm. What's the deal with this? Well, that means that nobody has studied the spider yet. We don't know if this is like for Formictopus. Years ago, I bought a Formictopus species purple. It was supposedly different from my standard Cancerides. 
looking at it now, there's a lot of information that shows that you can get purple cancerides. It could just be a different coloration of that same species. Until somebody takes time to investigate and look into that, what we end up with is a muddled mess of a genus where, for, and this is where it impacts the hobby, for example, I have purchased over the years many Formictibus species with the full intent to breed them. I love them. I want to reproduce them. I want more of them in the hobby. I want them so cheap everybody can get them. But guess what? Now I have these species, and over the last 10 years that I've been picking them up, more and more have come out. Some are looking very similar. I tried to get a male for a species that I had that I thought was the same, you know, seemed like it was going to be the same spider, got the male in, didn't look a thing like the male should have looked, so it was probably a totally different species. We have a an issue where the whole hobby, at least breeding-wise, could become a muddled mess if more of these animals aren't properly examined and described. Yeah, uh, that's a whole different topic as well. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, there's an ethical, you know, there's an ethical part to all of that. Um, you have hobbyists and you've been exposed to it first and for, I know you've received the emails and communications from individuals who've actually, um, you know, pressed that button in yep. terms of, oh, well, you know, I'll just breed X spider with Y spider and let's see what I get. See what I get. Yeah. The, the, uh, you know, these aren't, you know, a nose, you know, these aren't, yeah. uh, crested geckos that you're trying to get color morphs yep. from right big difference um, between color morphs and potentially mixing two different species and that's funny it's funny you say that because what's happening is that the hobbyist is morphing from i think a lot of people started off as reptile keepers yep, yep. and reptile hobbyists myself included right and then it's this is a whole different ball game um i think once you get into arthropods in general it, it's you you can't go and grab something that you were doing with a different animal before as a different hobbyist and apply it to Agree your current hobby. completely. It, this doesn't transfer over uh, ethically and morally. That, that's I'm not Mr. Ethical and I'm not Mr. Morality. That's not what I'm here to do. That's not what I'm trying to say. But you can't go and breed animals and think that you're going to put them into the market as something else that they're not, that just don't exist, right? It just yeah. doesn't exist. You're going to somehow you know, what do we, everyone calls it, you know, you're playing God, right? Yep. yep. Little <laughs> Jurassic Park action there. Well, you know, it's funny you say, Jur <laughs> I say this to people all the time. <laughs> um, I say to them, there's a part in Jurassic Park, right? There's a line where he says, um, he says something to the effect of, your scientists were so busy I knew this trying to figure out, right? If they could do it, that they never really sat there to think, should, should I do they it? do it? Right? That yep. question never... By the way, I'm exposed to that environment all the time. And it's it's almost an individual that's so ego-driven. And that's that's a fault. That's a human fault. Um, it's it's, it's so essentially Frankenstein. If you've read the, you know, the theme of Frankenstein, just messing, playing God, and not it thinking is. about it whether is. it should be done. Absolutely. And and you can't. Uh, when you're dealing with breeding of, of, of any animal, uh, ethics plays a, a gigantic role. Part. And if your ethical compass, like I call it, is broken, this is not the place for you. Yeah. You know, you shouldn't be getting involved with breeding any animal. I don't care if it's gerbils, mice, yep. you know. Yeah. No, Stay away from it. And I think find a new hobby. Find it exactly. <laughs> and unfortunately, I think again that in this falls right in lines. I think some people 
know better and the ethical compass is off, I think, in other instances. And I have encountered these people and we've talked about that I've talked them out of it because they don't get it. They haven't been in it long enough. And I think this is where that scientific aspect comes in. I think if more of these spiders, like, God, how many times the serious hobbyists we get in a conversation like, oh my God, I can't wait for a big revision on this genus. Like you hear mm-hmm. it with Pamphlobedius, you hear it with Formictibus, it was a big revision of Vicularia. There's those of us that really care about it and know and, and get that, you know, we see the bigger picture, recognize how important it is every time one of, we get one of these new papers, every time we have a new species either discovered or a change of name or a change of alignment or a change of genus, whatever it may be, we recognize how important that is to eventually getting to a point where we now don't have the SPs in our collection. We have, mm-hmm. we know that this here is my Formictopus cancerides. This is the bronze version. This is the purple version. These can be bred together because that's totally normal. Or here is my Formictopus cancerides. Here is my Formictopus whatever purple. And these have to be kept apart. It's a huge thing when it happens. And I know I get excited about it because I think we took one step closer to eventually getting to that point in a hobby and getting to that point in the world that somebody recognizes these creatures as being amazing, worth the time to study and to figure out, you know, all the little, where they come from, the locales, the species, the uh, genera, whatever it may be. That's a huge thing. Yeah. And it's, um, it's a daunting task, by the way. It's an extremely daunting task. Just go ahead and ask again, any taxonomist, um, what it takes to really do that type of revision uh, an example of that is uh, I'm actually looking as I talk. We're going to make this real casual. I think it was a paper not this week, and it was on a major revision to trapdoor spiders of North America. Ooh. That is, you, when you read that paper, you realize the amount of work that went into yes. that paper um, and how long it took them. Um, to and do I this revision. I think that's, and, and thank you for bringing that up, back to the guy that went nuts because they changed Smithy over. Mm-hmm. That's the part they don't recognize. I think nope. some folks think somebody comes along and goes, you know what? I don't want to call that that spider anymore. I want to change its name. And there's so, for legitimate papers, there's so much work and study that goes into that type of change. That isn't taken lightly. That isn't a snap decision. Yeah, I love that. You know, people have absolutely no clue, but they immediately go on a rampage, right? Yep. And go and they and they have absolutely no clue in the amount of work. Uh, yeah, the, it's a paper titled. Uh, it's on, I put it on the group. Taxonomic revision of the New World members of the trapdoor spider genus Umedia. Um, and if you look at the map and you see how far it extends into North America and down into uh, the other regions, you know, Mexico, Central America, South America. It's, it's wow. just, it's astonishing, you know, the amount yeah. of work that went into this revision. And I think everyone should use that paper as an example of how daunting it is yep. and, and how much work goes into doing something like this. I do the same thing. I think I get frustrated as well sometimes because you know that there's a revision in the works or you know that a specific genus is due a revision. There are many genuses right now that are, are beyond the due date of a revision. Yep. But it takes time, yeah. you know, it's, it doesn't happen overnight. And the number of people working on these types of uh, revisions, you know, aren't in the thousands either. 
No, and you know? that's the thing. It's a small group of individuals. It's why it's you hear the same names come up over and over again. The the ones that are out there doing all the work, and there's just not, unfortunately, not enough of them to examine the vast number of species and genera that are currently out there. Right. I mean, look, one of the positive things that I've, at least for me, that I've come from this whole pandemic was that I've been able to attend conferences online. Conferences that probably wouldn't be. Well, maybe they would have been online, but I don't think as many would have been yep. virtual because a lot of these occur uh, at universities, at museums, and they they occur behind closed doors. People get invited. They're local. They're not really, but they've opened them up to like Google Meets and um, Zoom calls and that kind of thing. Um, and yesterday I attended one with uh, in Chile. Uh, Tarantula de Chile has a group and they put out, uh, it was like an, a one-hour presentation on conservation and protection of their native um, tarantulas. Oh, wow. And that's, even to me, that was, it's an eye-opener, yeah. right? Someone at some point asked him a question. Um, I forget who it was. Somebody asked him a question about, uh, it was, um, he's in the group, as a matter of fact, Ruben Montenegro. And the question was somewhere in the neighborhood of like, you know, collaborating or how many other individuals were, you know, working on this or how many. (laughs) And he told them straight out. He's like, there's not a whole lot of us. Yeah. This is an entire country. He's not talking about just Santiago. He's not talking about the capital of Chile. He's talking about the country. (laughs) Right. And that's when you get, that's when you get an idea of how daunting a task it is. Specifically you know, in that region, right? So Central America, South America, and Mexico, and that kind of thing. It takes time, you know, it's not going to happen overnight. There are people who are completely dedicated to this work, but it's going to take a long time to, you know, I I know we're, we're an instant gratification type of society, but this is not one of those instances where you're going to get things done overnight. It just takes time. Yeah. Well, this one leads beautifully into our next topic. And we've really kept right to topic here which is great and that the whole melding of the hobby you're a good you're a good teacher stuff. and i was a good student thank you we, and, and plus we did a great <laughs> trial run so I, I do think we're smoking it this time though for people out there i need, that a, are I thinking, need a sip of coffee <laughs> i mine's downstairs i have one over here that i'm pretty sure was here from our last one that i never took away so i don't think i'll drink that one um hobbyists versus the scientific community is the topic and this is a tricky one but one i wanted to cover with you because i think we've had you know i don't think we've had conversations about the past but just to preface this when i first got serious into the hobby i how do i put this i I thought that hobbyists and the scientific community the taxonomists the folks out there doing the research I thought we're all like buddies. Everybody appreciated everybody else. You know, I, I always, obviously always appreciate taxonomists, but I think the part that I was a little confused about is I thought that the taxonomists, the biologists, the folks out there doing all the work love the hobby. And I think a lot of us get into the hobby when we start really getting serious about it. And I think it's when you do start branching out and doing more research about where does this species come from? And you find things like... Uh, a piece of Ethereum Metallica immediately comes to mind where they're suffering from huge habitat loss. And then you recognize, my God, there's so few of them in the, in the left in the world. It's conceivable. And I've used this before. I've used this. If you read my older stuff and see my older videos, this was something I kind of rallied behind that it's conceivable that at some point in time in the, in the next 50 years, 
many of these species of tarantula will only exist in hobbyist collections across the world. They will have wiped out their natural habitat. They will not have reacclimated to the urbanization in that area, whatever it may be. We may be kind of the folks that are carrying the torch for these guys that are keeping them alive. And I think a lot of us go in with that noble thought that we're saving them. We're, we're The hobby in itself is shining a spotlight on animals that most people and in, in where they come from kill on the spot or they burn down trees. I'm thinking Hannibal Valisamica, a horrible story about a bunch of them up in a tree and they were clearing an area to put office buildings or something up in. They cut it down and they burned it and there was a bunch of spiders in it. You hear horrific things like that and it makes you feel better about yourself as a hobbyist. Like, I'm doing God's work here. I'm keeping these species alive. You know, we're like Noah in the ark. However, there's another side to it. And I started to experience more when I try to reach out to some of the scientific community and, you know, not going out like, hey, man, I'm Tom's Big Spiders, you should be on my thing, but just kind of thinking that they, they would say, oh, this guy, they would watch some of my stuff and go, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about. He's taking an educational point of view. And I didn't necessarily get a lot of people contacting me back. And I started to realize after a while that that relationship that I thought was there is at best strained. So, I think a lot of us believe that the scientific community should love us because, you know, they're interested in spiders. We're interested in spiders. We're keeping them. We're raising them. We're, we're captive breeding them. But that's not always the case. So where is the divide here? Um, not a I mean, loading touched, question at all. No, I mean, but you touched on the divide. The reason for the divide is specifically what you just said. Um, look, habitat loss and, and, and de um, degradation is the number one reason. We're all aware of that. Yep. You can't be ignorant, though, and say that that is the only reason. That's not true, right? So poaching has a lot to do with it as well. But it almost seems like when you touch on that subject with individuals, they immediately get defensive. You know, there's this defense mechanism that's triggered right away because everyone just wants to focus on habitat loss, habitat loss, habitat loss. It's not just that. Yes, you just mentioned a perfect example. I think that was in, uh, I want to say it was around 2005, 2006, that that happened in India. Yep. Uh, with Hanua uh, Sumika and Metallica. And if you want to classify and say, you know, those are two examples of some of the most endangered, endangered. critically endangered tarantulas in the entire world. And yes, again, habitat loss. It's something that's happening locally. But sometimes people bring up, the, well, we're hobbyists and we're going to keep these species going and that's mm -hmm. how we're going to go ahead and, 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 you know, how they're going to end up back in the wild. It's, it's not that simple. That's a very simplistic answer and approach to all of this. Uh, you can't, we, we use the word reintroduction. You can't reintroduce an animal into a locale that no longer exists because of habitat loss. Yep. Now you got to look for a new area, right? That's daunting, challenging uh, it takes many, many, many years, by the way, to do. Uh, you and I have touched on programs at zoos. If people really want an insight onto what it takes to have a critically endangered animal housed and uh, that you're taking care of, like zoos do, um, with the sole purpose of not just keeping them and showing them to individuals that come to the zoo, but to also go ahead and, and put some out back into it's the wild. wild. This is just years and years and years in the making you know some of these zoos um, have animals or have had animals in their collections for 9 10 12 15 years before they can ever put out six or seven you know yeah it's not something again this is 
not it's not a it's not a solution. We would like to see us ourselves, you know, as hobbyists and say we we can help the situation and not make it worse. That's unfortunate. Uh, it, it, that's I don't I don't see that happening. Simply, like I said, if it comes from something like um, we've discussed this before, Mexico with Uma, um, and I'm actually looking up. I think uh, it's Rodrigo. I don't want to screw up his name. Yeah, Rodrigo Orozco Torres. He's been doing this for 20 years with Uma in Mexico. Yep. And he's been doing it for 20 years. Uh, he's a zoologist. He's passionate about it with the sole purpose of ensuring that, or initially, all brachypelma, right, under the yep. same genus, that they were all, um, you know, that they wouldn't be extinct, that Mexico wouldn't lose this endemic species, right, or genus. And it's been a labor of love. Go ask him how long it's taken him to produce these and to, you know, to put these out there, to push for, you know, captive breeding programs that uh, cater both to anyone who's a hobbyist and would like captive bred animals instead of having to pluck these out of the wild. Again, these are touchy subjects, and it almost seems like a lot of people don't ever want to get into them because they get all offended. But, you know, the hobby is what it is, and the spiders that we have in our collection, at one point or another, these were all wild caught. Mm -hmm. Right? People forget that. These were all, at one point in time, wild-caught animals that eventually, yes, they made it into the hobby. Um, We succeeded in terms of captive breeding. We now have responsible breeders, thankfully, that breed them uh, and and provide them to the hobby. But we all know how it started. And if you don't want to come to terms with that, then you're in denial. You know, you can't do that. And that's, you asked me the first question about scientists and hobbyists. Scientists are conservationists at the very core. And that's their, that's why they do what they do. You know, so being a hobbyist, to many of them, some of them are hobbyists. Some of them, like I said before, started as hobbyists. But there's always, I think, some hesitance. There's some hesitance always from someone maybe, look, it's taken me this long to get some individuals, maybe a handful of individuals in the scientific community to join my group. Do you honestly believe that it's not because there's some hesitance that there are some individuals that might be members of that same group who are just there as hobbyists and just because that's not truly their intent? Yep. It's not to learn about science, but it's more to to kind of vet what's going on. Or You know, everyone's always very wary. You know, everyone's yep. always very concerned. I'm going to give you the example of papers where people used to post, even on um, iNaturalist, I think a lot of people post GPS coordinates on where a specific locale, where they saw uh, an animal, a species, uh, whatever it was. Yep. And in a lot of papers, you'll see where you'll have a general statement and you will no longer see um, a GPS coordinate for where they were or where they found this because they don't want people knowing. Yep. And why might you know? that be? <laughs> right. So that's the state that yep. we're in, sadly. Yep. It shouldn't be that. It, no. it shouldn't be that we, you know, that we've, we're at this level this year, you know, we're in 2021. You would think we would have made so much progress that we'd be very aware of our natural environment and not wanting to do that and continue to add damage. But yeah, I, that's not the case. No. So. And, and I think that's something that I've kind of, you know, I pulled the wool in my own eyes on because for years you talked about the captive breeding. Captive breeding is huge now. We don't do as much of it. it 
as we need to in the United States. I think the hobby is just so huge here right now that we can't keep up with it as far as supply and demand. So we import a lot of ours from Europe. But you look at there's always a healthy, you know, influx of captive bred slings coming into the U.S. They're overseas. They're all that. These are captive bred animals. This is what we're shooting for. However, there are constant reminders now, and I'm, I've been privy to many of them. We spoke about before the T. albopelosis. It's a species that has been around in the hobby forever. Mm-hmm. They are readily available to the point where some places you buy, like you spend 50 bucks and they'll give you a free one. I mean, this is not a spider that's difficult to produce in captivity. There's plenty of them out there. However, I have been inundated with emails over the past year from folks who have bought their first, purchased their first tarantula from a pet store. They pick up a T. albopelosis. They've read nothing but great things about these curly hairs. They've got these beautiful, you know, fat, chubby females in. They're so cute. And guess what ends up happening? They end up laying egg sacs. Now, normally back in the day, and I can say this wasn't a huge issue, you know, five or six years ago, I wasn't seeing this as much. Back in the day, it would be like a phantom egg sac. My queen, the G. Porteri that I had for years. When I first got her, she laid a phantom egg sac. I opened it up. It was nothing but dirt. It was totally cool. She hadn't been bred. It was just sometimes spiders will do that. That's fine. These are not phantom egg sacs. These are gravid females. And why are they gravid females? Because whoever got them didn't breed them, raise them up, you know, raise them up, breed them, and then sell them off because they didn't feel like dealing with them. They were plucked out of the wild. We're pulling Mm -hmm. gravid females of a species that is readily available. I I hate to say it this way because it kind of seems like I'm disparaging the species, but they're a dime a dozen. And yet they're pulling them out of the wild. There was that one with the incident with, I believe it was um, Ants Canada. Was that the one? Yeah. That he bought the, uh, one of the most- P. Metallica. P. Metallica. One of the most horrific things I've ever seen. I got more emails like, have you seen this? And I hadn't. He picked one up and it was full grown and it laid an egg sac. And they're like, oh, phantom egg sac, no big deal. Nope. It was a viable egg sac. He got babies out of it. It was a wild caught specimen, a P. Metallica. Again, something that they're a little trickier to breed, but the Europeans are doing it. No problem. And then we got the, you know, the case of the B. rupees semiroxagorums, ones that basically they were discovered, new species. I have, if you uh, if you search for them, a bunch of, they actually made international news, like the main news about this new species of spider. But what ended up happening is as soon as they were discovered, they were quickly smuggled out of the country. It sounds like maybe even with the actual paper that was written, the people that wrote the paper had something to do with it. They were announced, oh, new species, and boom, they were for sale. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that was one of the quickest turnarounds I have ever seen for a new species being discovered. Like we're talking about papers out, boom, the spiders are available. And then you want to think that, all right, so somebody took took some out of the country, they bred them, and now we have captive bred specimens. But I had somebody contact me the other day about care for one of these, and they have a female. And from what they described, this was, and this is somebody from a different country that I won't mention right now, but there is a problem with the smuggling into this country of the tarantulas. <laughs> it sounds like they have a wild caught female. And I've also, when I posted my video up with Birupi Simaroxagorum, I had several folks who are from that area say that they see people down there searching for them. So this is not, I think my, my main point is, and I believe this for many years, we're done doing that. We don't pull them out of the wild anymore. We breed them. It's not true. We pull true. the new ones out of the wild where they're already endangered and we're going pulling you know, females and pairs out of the wild. We're pulling ones out of the wild that have been established in the hobby for decades. That sends a terrible message 
to the scientific community, to the folks, yeah. like you said, con uh, conservation being their main point. That's a hideous message. You know what the first slide was yesterday in uh, Rubens uh, out of Chile? This first slide, the first slide oh, God. In, the, in the presentation was about brown boxing. Ah, there it is. Right? Yep. So there's a reason why this is a presentation about conservation and preservation. And his first slide, one of the first two slides, was about brown boxing. And he that, was talking about smuggling and, you know, how it is that people, how it originated. So brown boxing originated. We all know how it originated because it was the only way to do it yep. um, under the radar. Uh, go ask Chile what a, what problem they're still having, you know, with uh, with these species. And, uh, you know, there's fines and there's uh, there's a whole lot that they've done from from a, a logistical standpoint. Yep. And the government has done to try to step in and, and, and you know, punish individuals for this but it's um it's rampant and in asia it's rampant um there's a there's a corridor we won't mention the countries but there is a corridor and that corridor is constantly so the authorities are vigilant on that corridor right yeah but the problem is it, it's just the volume it's just a sheer volume yeah uh, and it's very difficult. You know, you can only have so many agents. We've seen that here, even yep. in the states, even right? With, fish uh, and wildlife. with wildlife, yep. right? Fish and wildlife. You see it, but it's they're overburdened. I yep. have two friends, you know, who work here locally um, in South Florida and Miami at Miami International Airport, and they'll be the first ones to tell you that when those shipments come in, that they have to go and just vet every single shipment that's there. That's daunting, man. That's it's. Yeah. And when you yeah, hear about that's not an easy task. Every once in a while, some, they'll catch somebody. There was one recently. Again, not going to get into the countries, but um, where they caught somebody smuggling a bunch of them in, and there was a lot. I believe it was like close to a thousand, if not more. That's mm -hmm. one person they caught. Yeah. I'm willing to wager that for every one person they catch, there are many, 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 many more to get through. That was one group of individuals. And here's yep. the best part: they're <clears> risking, <throat> you know, landing in a foreign jail. Yep. <laughs> Well, because they don't send you back. We talked about that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they don't send you back, folks. Here, here's the 411. They are not going to send you back to your home home country. You know, they're going to throw your ass in jail at that, wherever it is that you get caught. Yeah. And you do not want to be in those jails. No. So I, I just, I mean, how lucrative? So the question, I guess, becomes how lucrative is it? Yeah. You know, how much are you, why are you willing to, to risk so much? Um, to end up in jail because in these countries, it's just, you're going to jail and you're not getting an attorney yep. and no one really gives a rat's ass about the fact that you're in that jail. Yep. They don't care about family calling you. They it's just, but you know, like we've <laughs> talked about that really drive. That's scary because you're talking about a level, like when you hear drug traffickers and not that right. compare, but it's, it's similar that whole system they have set up and how much money is involved that you know you walk in this country you're going into the wild trying to steal specimens to either sell directly in the trade or to create a breeding group with to make more of them the the ramifications the penalties you're going to face if you get caught are extreme but that well, shows um, how much money is involved in it I, look um i think it's yeah afonopelma morea right yep i think it comes from a region if, if memory serves me right, I don't recall right now, but it's in a region of Mexico. And that, that area, I believe somebody mentioned to me is controlled by the Sinaloa cartel. 
<laughs> right there, I'm done. <laughs> so these guys are protected somehow, yep. right? <laughs> to a certain extent. Because I don't think anyone wants to venture in there no. to try to, and you know, we had a, it, this is funny, we're laughing about this now, but it's, it's, it's so sad, right? Yeah. And there are still people who are willing to risk. Risk that, that right Getting there. into certain areas just to pluck a few spiders out, yeah. just, you know, to make money, just for payday. Um, I think we, you know, I, I think we've, we've covered this. You and I have discussed this probably ad nauseum. Yeah. Um, but I, people need to be aware of it and, yeah. and they, they can't just turn a blind eye and think that this isn't happening. It's happening and it's happening at a, at a, just a, a horrible pace. And I think that's the thing. It isn't so much. And when, you know, when I bring this stuff up, it's a lot of it is reflecting myself on it. It's, it's something I wrestle with. I, I picked up the Simoruxigorums and there was a lot of moral debate for me. I don't know if I still feel comfortable with it because knowing when I picked them up, I knew there was some, we needed some clarity of how they were obtained. I was hoping that the information would come out and mm-hmm. prove that they were they were taken legally. And now it doesn't look that way. I, I mentioned before, well, when we did our trial run, I got in contact with somebody who knew the people that had found them and were kind of entangled in this mess. And he's like, I'm sure he'll come and talk to you and, and explain the whole thing. Well, guess what? They didn't. And that leads me to believe one thing. I mean, you have a chance to go on and kind of explain your side of the story and they're not talking. So I think for me, it's not about trying to make everybody feel terrible about being in the hobby because we do love these animals. And I do think there is a lot of good that comes out of us getting them, captive breeding them, in a way becoming the stewards of them. I do think that there is some some merit to that. Right. But I also think we do need to recognize that this stuff is still happening. And that is why there might be a bit of a rift between hobbyists and the scientific community. That is, you, you can't, like you said, every species that we have right now, even if they're kind of quote unquote grandfathered in because it's been so many years, it's been decades, every species in this room right now, whether I bought them, you know, they're the vast majority of my collection is captive bred. Every one of them at one point was plucked out of the wild, most likely yeah. illegally. It was poached. I mean, there's, we don't have to say plucked out of the wild. We can say it. It was poached. Yeah. And, um, and that's just, it's a sad conclusion. Yeah. I have one in my collection, which I know, you know, I've mentioned to you before, uh, sold as uh, City of Pyropos Pagonos. We know Pagonos is not in the hobby, at least to the best of my knowledge. Um, <clears throat> and it turns out that it's probably, to the best of my knowledge, and visually looking at it, uh, it's uh, City of Pyropos Vonworthy. And I thought it was a male for the longest period of time. Uh, I'm going on two and a half years. Obviously, it hasn't matured. It's looking very female. So I'm going to draw a conclusion. I've never been able to pluck a molt out yeah. Uh, due to the fact that it's, you know, truly, 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 it's been fossorial a hundred percent. It's never come out. I mean, it comes out every now and then, but, um, I've never gone in there looking for a molt. And when I have found, I think I found one molt, it was just completely torn to shreds. So yeah, I, but it, it's, it's female, which is kind of odd because most of these that get plucked out are, are males uh-huh. that are wandering in the wild and, you know, looking for females and that's how they get caught and, and, you know, stuffed in a bag. But, um, you know, it's one of my, you know, probably my only rescue attempt, like I call it. Yeah. You know, it's the one time that I went ahead and, and just said, well, this guy looks dreadful in this teeny tiny little, you know, deli cup. Let, let me take it home. Yeah. <laughs> that was I've years been ago. there. Yep. But yeah, I've stayed away and I, I purposely then stayed away from shops like this and from places like this because I'm like, I can't be a hero all the time because tr- I'm contributing actually yeah. to a bigger problem. You're not really being a hero, right? You're contributing to to a problem 
that sadly shouldn't be occurring, but you know, you have a bunch of retail locations that are still taking in, you know, wild caught specimens. And I think that's honestly a topic I'd love to, I've tried to go at many times, but the whole pet store situation is an issue unto itself. I've been there. I've done the quote unquote rescue. I've wrestled with the fact that I brought one home, but that's going to encourage them to sell more, which is why I try to like, when I go into places, I try to talk to them about them, try to educate them a bit. Mm -hmm. But that's definitely a topic we could cover. That's a whole hour podcast right there. I think just the pet trade itself and how that tarantulas are. Not a few hours. A few hours. Like seriously. But it's one, it's it's tough because I'm so, it's such a hot button topic as far as, you know, trying to, I think there are some legitimate places out there that recognize it. I think a lot of the big chain pet stores, it's a huge issue, but yeah. I, the the one thing you know it's it's kind of a downer topic and I think everybody does that collects tarantulas and and keeps tarantulas and loves tarantulas we want to walk away thinking we're doing a good thing for the hobby and I do again I want to stress I do think a lot of good comes of it but I do think we all need to be very aware that there are there's a seedy side to it there's a bad side to it. there's there's a part where we are actively contributing to some of these guys demise in their natural habitat. And we need to kind of come to terms with that, always have that in the back of our mind and act accordingly, whether it be not buying wild caught specimens anymore, whether it be, you know, whatever it may be, recognizing when those new species come out that were, you know, kind of trigger species, the ones like the T. Celadonia that all of a sudden, and I don't want to get in that whole thing, but that was a debacle and opened up kind of, that's what kind of opened up this whole idea that, hey, guess what? A lot of what we're selling over here, especially in the United States, could be considered illegal because of the fact that it wasn't obtained legally to, to begin with. That's that's a big thing to kind of, you know, ponder and keep in the back of your mind while you're enjoying the hobby. Yeah, and look, we said this to each other before. You're, we're privileged to do this, right? Yep. We're privileged to be able to keep these animals. Some people call it, well, we've all seen the fight. I've seen it here now in Florida because of... Um, uh, the reptile man. They've banned, yep. right, the whole reptile banning, uh, people fighting with... Uh, um, you know, fish and wildlife, uh, fish and wildlife now is the boogeyman because they outlawed it, yada, yada, yada. I get it. I, they could have gone through different, this could have been done differently. I think this was a, I agree that I think it was a, a very broad, yep. uh, sword kind of approach. Um, and I think that was probably more out of frustration than anything else. But again, people don't want to hear this, but fish and wildlife really doesn't care that you're a hobbyist. Yeah or that you're wanting to keep these animals because you're a hobbyist and because you like your lizards. They just don't care. And they're not there to really care about these things. They have bigger fish to fry, no pun intended. (laughs) And people forget that fish and wildlife is a policing arm. And they're a policing arm of a very, you know, of a way bigger fish here, which is the Department of the Interior. And if you think fish and wildlife really doesn't care much about the hobbyist or really shouldn't, the Department of the Interior cares even less. Less. So people need to grasp that first. They need to educate themselves and see who it is that they're, who the ears are, right? Who do they belong to? So that when they approach these parties, they do so in a very civil way. You know, Fish and Wildlife and U.S. Uh, the U.S. Association of Reptile Keepers had to come out and tell people how to behave on these calls. What to say, what not to say, not to disrespect anyone. Do you see where we're going with this? Yeah. I sat in on that, on that call. It was an open call for anyone who wanted to attend. And like halfway through, I mean, once it got to that point where people were commenting or whatever, I just, I left it. I left the call. Uh, there are, 
people again this this entire podcast goes to the core of educate yourself yes it's about educating yourself being a civil person being knowledgeable being respectful i i think that's at the core of this podcast right now even as a you know i i know we're discussing the hobby and other things but Take that away from There's a bigger theme. As well. yeah. There's a bigger theme here. Um, and I think what happened here, for example, and I know I'm muddying the waters, prop might not have happened if there would have been more of a civil interaction between people. And I'm going back to what you said about scientists and hobbyists. We're all people. We're all the same people. You know, people need to learn how to communicate with one another, how to be civil, how to say things the appropriate way, how to be articulate, how to not insult individuals because that stigma and that's what i'm getting to the stigma that has been created between scientists and hobbyists and hobbyists and and wildlife groups and and state agencies it, whose fault is that yeah it's everyone's fault you know uh the civility has <laughs> the, the the blinds of civility have been torn to shreds yeah right so i I think we could just do a better job at bringing all these parties together, regardless of what it is that we're discussing and, uh, and making things work long term. But it, it's going to take some effort. I, I think there's a lot that needs to be done. I agree. And it's funny because you bring up this stigma. When you mention somebody that has a bunch of tarantulas, there is an image that comes to mind for many people. And it's you're in many cases, the you know, tattooed it up, metal-headed, you know, type of guy that's in his basement or in his bedroom with the posters up and it, just not the most civil human being in the world. And granted, I check off some of those boxes myself, but I try to always, it's one of the reasons I don't hide the tattoos in the videos, why I've grown the hair out, why mm -hmm. I wear the, it's it's to kind of bring those, it's, it's strategic in a way, like to bring those together. Like, yes, I do enjoy metal music. I do have tattoos. I also consider myself to be an intelligent and I hope fairly articulate individual that is constantly trying to learn new things that doesn't like to open my mouth unless I know what I'm talking about. So I do think that, you know, and we've joked and I've talked with other people about this as well. Some of usually when there's a stereotype in, in a situation like this, there was something that led to that stereotype. People didn't just come up with the idea that People that keep tarantulas are weird, creepy, you know, sometimes not very articulate, sometimes, you know, act, you know, just the image of, I, I'm trying to put it, uh, like, sugarcoat it here. We're all a bunch of goth heads. Yeah, like, just, just na like, yeah, like, yeah. actually, some of the goths I know are pretty you know, sensitive people, but... <laughs> I, it's you do get that appearance like the dude in the with the the curtains blacked out and the pentagrams in the background and here is my creepy spider and, yeah. and and even when I talk I've had people and I've mentioned this before that you know they find out I have spiders and they go well you're not what I would picture which I, I guess is a good thing because at that point I'm wearing my long sleeve shirts the hair's done whatever you know I'm acting professionally but there is a negative stigma toward keeping them I do think in some cases and this just to tie this whole thing together beautifully I think. Mm -hmm. When we talked about social media, we get those personalities on social media. Guess which ones are making the most noise? It's not the more, you know, quiet, intelligent, thoughtful, contemplated people. It's the ones that are coming out saying the horrible things, giving us a bad look. So I do, I, I love that you brought that up because I do think that is a problem the hobby has is that we kind of have this, and it's with any hobby. It's not just tarantulas. Let's make that very clear. With any type of, you know, collection or anything, you're going to have the good people and the bad people. 
But I do think there's the ones that are a little more like cerebral about it, a little more thoughtful, a little more educated. And mm-hmm. then there are the ones that they pick up. They want a cool spider. The ones that say, yeah, I want an OBT because I've seen these. They're nasty. I don't care if I get bit. I'm tough. You get those knuckleheads over there. And I think, unfortunately, sometimes the knuckleheads are a little bit louder and more out there than those of us who are trying to set a positive example for the hobby. And I think, like you said, with the scientific community, I'm sure a lot of them, especially ones that haven't spent a lot of time actually in the hobby recognizing there's some good people in there, see that when they go on social media and like, yep, there they are. Yeah, my interaction has been my positive interaction or my the dialogue that I've had with individuals within the scientific community uh, has been primarily one-on-one. It hasn't even been in the group. Yep. <laughs> I'll be honest. It's been either one-on-one um, or during a conference, you know, like I said before, I have been lucky enough to attend a few, you know, like PowerPoint presentations and conferences and things like that. Uh, but it's never been in a general, uh, big forum, you know, where there's others involved and that holds true to what you're saying now. It's, there's a sense of privacy and really just wanting to keep to yourself and to what it is that you do. Um, because again, they just don't, they don't have the time and they don't really want to have to deal with all of that. And they don't want to get brought in or engaged into a conversation that they really have no, they just don't want to. Yeah. They, and they don't need to, they, they don't really have to justify anything. They don't have to justify what they do and they don't have to justify why it is that they do what they do and why they say the things yeah. or, or why they're advocates. Uh, I think if you're a hobbyist, you should be an advocate. You know, this goes back to what we were saying earlier on. You should be an advocate. You should be an advocate for why you're keeping these animals and be informed and bring all that in, tie it all in so that when somebody asks you a question, it's not just a creep factor. Oh, yeah, I keep spiders because they're creepy. They're creepy. Yep. (laughs) Right? Yep. And I get that a lot. A lot. Again, the majority of people I interact with are fantastic. Like the people that I comment, that comment on the podcast, people I've been corresponding with for years via comments of great people. So I don't want it to be like I'm disparaging. It's it's a smaller group. I honestly believe mm-hmm. it is a smaller contingency, contingency of our hobby. But again, it's just that they're loud. They're out mm-hmm. there. They're outrageous. They're getting more of the attention. And unfortunately, it takes one of those going out there and saying all these bizarre things and nasty things to kind of overshadow 10 other people that are just more quiet and deliberate and, and doing the right thing. But that goes a long way. Yeah, you know, being quiet, deliberate, and keeping to yourself, and, and knowing that um, you're well informed, and and not allowing yourself to become uh, tangled up into these people's insecurities, which is really what it is. Uh, they tend to be in your face and screaming, and then yep. when they can't get a rise out of you, what do they do? They leave you alone, leave and you then alone. they go play tag. You're it to someone else. Someone else. Because they're seeking that. So don't yeah. give them that. No, yeah, and I think th- I have to say that's probably the biggest thing I've always enjoyed with all of the Tom's Big Spider stuff, whether it be, especially with the website, because people that are looking to read, you know, some of my articles were long. They are long. Mm-hmm. Like I just wrote one the other day. I think I'm around 5,000 words now. That's a, that's a sizable chunk of reading for anybody. Folks that are looking that information up and actually reading it are already going above and beyond. The majority of people out there, they're not even doing. And one of the reasons I started doing videos is I realized some people would come on and be like, "I'm not reading that whole article." I'm like, "All right, well, you know, good teaching. You give them another mode. You give them another pre- way to present it. So people they're more visual. We need to see the hands-on stuff. That's, That's the right. way Are you I visual. Do Here's YouTube for you. Here's YouTube for you. Exactly for yeah. people that are auditory listeners. There's there's a the whole 
reason I do this isn't because I want to go out and conquer the world. It has nothing to do with that. I want to find the people out there that want to be educated, much like you when you were describing Ragnito. That that obviously strikes a chord with me because that's what I'm trying to do. I'm keeping true to what I've always wanted to do, which is educate. I don't care about being the biggest person out there. I, I could give a flying flute. It's more about getting people in there that just, hey, I need this information. Right. You seem to know what you're talking about. And I think because of that and the way it's presented, I like to think the way it's presented on the podcast, the way it's presented on my YouTube, I avoid the sensationalistic stuff. There are things that I get people a lot that get frustrated with me because I don't do the typical types of videos that would pull in a lot more people. But you know what? I spare myself the frustration of having to deal with the knuckleheads that just want to go on and brag about how, yeah, my first spider was a P. Metallica. And I put it in my mouth and, and showed it off to my friend. Like, you should hear the stuff that people will say, like bizarre <laughs> things like that. I don't care if I get bit by one. My my pain tolerance is great. Whatever. I get very few of those. And when they come out there, I usually give them a bahaha and move on and don't give them any attention and they disappear. So yeah. I'm very fortunate in that the people that are listening to me or reading me or watching my videos are intelligent folks or thoughtful folks and they want to do the right things by their spiders. And that's what's made me, I think that's what's given me longevity because I'm not a huge, big shocker here. I'm not a huge people person. You know, I teach, but rather negative view sometimes of humanity in general. And mm -hmm. it's, if that had gone that way, if I had to deal with the amount of crap some people deal with on their pages and the comments and stuff, I never, it wouldn't have been worth my time. Yeah, and that's where I went wrong early on that I said the first group. First group was for everyone else. That was wrong. Yep. Second group, this time around. For you. It was for me. Yep. It's a repository for me. I keep track of papers, believe it or not, better this way. Yep. That's for me. If others can benefit from it, so be it. Um, that, you know, that makes me happy. I'm glad. I'm glad. I've had a few people reach out to me. But of the 600 or, or some odd that are part of that group now, I've probably had outside of the scientific community, two or three individuals that are really regular uh, in terms of reaching out to me outside yep. of the group and you know send me a message or ask me questions. And I'm fine with that. I don't need more than that. I'd rather 600 uh, engaged individuals than 22,000 members of a group where my engagement is you know 110. Yep. And, and I th again, I think that's why we've always gotten along so well because it's that similar with Tom's Big Spider stuff. You know, yeah, you should have more subscribers. I don't care. I have more than I ever thought I would have in a million years, and the people I have are there for a reason. I don't, I don't want to have to deal with a million folks coming on and, and posting silly things or whatever. I want people there that are critical thinkers that are looking for good husbandry information that appreciate these animals. That's it. It's, it's not a. It's not a popularity contest for me I'd, I'd fail miserably it's not going to work but staying true to what i wanted to do is i think in the long run giving me the longevity it's it's allowed me to sleep at night where you Absolutely. know i never felt like i've sold out as a matter of fact just a funny thing that's going to come up now because i'm, I'm going to be bringing this up i've never had ads on my face on my youtube thing because i don't a i don't want i didn't do this for money i don't want the money from the ads in the first place and b i want people to come on and just be able to get that information immediately. That's what's right. important to me. It's about getting the information. It'd be, like, it'd be like teaching and having somebody, all right, stop. Let's talk a minute about our Apple computer over here. It's ridiculous. And recently, YouTube has, much to my extreme frustration, has finally started tacking on ads to everybody. So Billy and I were on one of my videos the other day, and now I have ads. And I am beside myself on it. So 
it's those little things that just, I've had so many people argue, you should put ads, you deserve, I don't want them. It's about the information. I want the information, the best compliment I could get, the best payment I could get is when I hear from people like, hey, remember two years ago, I asked you about this? Well, now I have 50 spiders and they're all doing great. That's awesome. That's all I need. I don't right. need some guy talking about shaving his man parts or something, <laughs> which all joking aside, guess what one of the videos was that we joked about this before the, the video or the uh, ads. One of the ads the other day was that guy talking about manscaping. Like, are you kidding yeah. me? So that's another whole story. I just had to get in it because I, oh, I think man. people get frustrated with me sometimes because I don't fit the mold, but that's literally what I'm coming at this for. And if it ever and they became, don't get it, you know, they don't get it. The they don't get, they get, they get, they don't get it. Why don't you, I have people get mad. Why don't you put yeah. ads? I don't want freaking ads. Well, I don't care what you, I, and we talked about this the last time I told somebody flat out, I really don't care what you think. It's my channel. I don't want ads and a story. And the guy was kind of taken aback, but I'm like, why am I arguing this? It's not what I do it for. Right. So. I, and I think that's why, again, why we've been friends for years in the hobby, why we stuck together. I think it's a very similar approach to the fact that we enjoy that education aspect. It's a common it. sense so, approach, yeah. I think. I, I'd like to think so. But we'll thought, see what happens I, when we I, get the, the feedback from this. But <laughs> I, I think we have a lot of common sense between the two of us. Tons of common sense. We shall sense. see. All right. So now for the final part of it. We've, we've gotten heavy here. We've covered some great topics. And I have to say, uh, again, I think we, we did – this is light years ahead of the other one. I think just the, the smoothness of it has been great. So we're going to have to practice them all. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> we're not doing it. Don't you dare. No, I'm praying to God. There's part of me starting to sweat now because we're coming to close here and I'm going to have to do the same thing I did last time, throw it on my program and hopefully it sounds good. Do, yeah. Fun, yeah. fun question time. And, and I hate doing this to you because I hate when people do it to me. So feel free to, you know, dance around it and, and have fun with it. But favorite tarantula species oh i think we've done this already right it sounds familiar doesn't it <laughs> i i, I want to I'm, I'm gonna call you now because i'm gonna go listen you know, to the other one see if you stick to the same uh answers you gave so before. here i'll let everyone in on a on a little secret so i started in the hobby with old world which is kind of odd uh, we always say how you kind of go from new world and you've yep. done podcasts on this and you've oh, yeah. commented about this on on other videos um so i started with uh, baboons i started with uh african baboon and you survived. So, yeah, look at I'm that. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I never got bit. Look it, at that. Weird. Hey, so strange. <laughs> yeah, so Darlingi, I'd have to say. Um, in, in my case, I would, I would, just because that's, for me, that's where it all started. Yeah. Um, probably one of the first resources I ever went into in terms of the internet was uh, uh, Tarantopedia. And they're just so well set up in oh, terms yeah. of, especially with their... Um, their conservation efforts within Africa and South Africa yep. and, and all of their native baboons. And they're, if anyone needs information and they're looking for information on, on um, African species, go in there, you know, do yourself a favor, look at their videos. They don't, they haven't been putting out that many videos lately, but go into their site and, yeah. and it's just a, it's amazing. Tons of resources. Yeah. It's, it's pretty amazing. Well, I can't argue with the Darlingi. They're one of the ones that I didn't have for quite some time. And now I have two little females that I absolutely adore. One of them, if, you know, I was into handling and if I was the type of person that would chance handling in old world, I have a funny feeling she would just crawl right out of my hand. Just a total sweetheart. Now, again, always got to put the disclaimer in. The temperaments can vary from specimen to specimen, but I do oh, have yeah. two that are pretty laid back and just really gorgeous. I love the little horn. I just, I will never get over the little horns on them. Just you can't. Adorable. You just can't. You They're, you sit there. I still sit there, and I'm yep. like, 
wow. it's the coolest little like thing. <laughs> like, yeah. I know more of them yeah. have horns. All right, Pretty so amazing. can't argue with that one at all. Next one, favorite genus. So um, we'll open it up a bit. You know, I guess because we're in North America. Um, I, I mean, and and I, it's it's a genus that again we've we've talked about this, and I think everyone should own. It's it doesn't matter what species is uh, a phonopelma. Yep. I mean, you just have to have at least one in your collection. Um, they're remarkable. You know, they they they're part of who we are here in the states. Uh, uh, they they encompass a pretty large region in the states. Uh, so yeah, I would I would definitely have to say a phonopelma. And it's funny because we talked about this last time. That was the genus that I avoided for quite a long time, partially due to the fact that they were local. For me, it's, and I think all keepers go through little stages. Like some of us go through ones where it's like, all right, we don't want any new worlds anymore. New worlds are boring. I'm doing all old worlds or vice versa, whatever. Maybe I'm doing arboreals now. I don't even want to see a terrestrial. It's like you go through little stages. One of mine was this little thing where it was like, all right, well, a lot of these can be found in the United States. Boring. I don't need those. And boy, was I wrong. And, I started, and I've gone in the other direction. Yeah, I know. Well, that's why I thought it was so cool when you said that. It was like your reasoning was they're here. This is part of us. And my reasoning was they're here. That's boring. I want something from Asia. I want something from Africa. But obviously, and I constantly make fun of the little stages I've gone through over the years. Like I avoided dwarfs for a while. And if I'm not mistaken, you love dwarfs. And I love dwarfs yeah, now so too. that's why I'm saying yeah, I'm completely it, the opposite. Completely I'm, polar opposite as far as where we went in our trajectory with the hobby. I've I gravitated. So cool. Yeah, I've completely gravitated towards dwarfs, towards, um, you know, new worlds. I, I guess because... I mean, I had probably at one point three quarters of the collection was was old world, and it was old world fossorial, Asian fossorial, and then I was like, "Well, I want to start to see my my spiders." Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I yep, <laughs> I, I want to be able to start to see what I have in my collection, and it sounds odd, but I kept them. We you've touched on this in, in some of your podcasts and videos. I always kept them as I think as they should be kept, right? As fossorials, yep. fossorial. So they're sitting in 10 inches of dirt yep. and they're, they come out seldom, you know, yep. I might catch them at a night that I go in and I glimpse in and I'll see one see or one? I'll see yep. two. But it's a thrill. It's a thrill for people that Absolutely. don't get it. That's the moment that it all, it could be a year and you see but it. After like, years <gasps> of doing that, I was like, you know what? Yep. I probably want more of these that I can see, see. more often, yep. right? That are more visual. Uh, so that's probably what happened to me. That, I'm sure that's what happened to me. That's, I, I made a conscious decision to add more new worlds for that reason. Yep. And that's, it's funny because here we are meeting in the middle, both agreeing on everything. And we both, every single one of these took the opposite approach. Yep. That's funny. So final one, if you could only keep five, which ones would they be? And I'm going to tally it this time because last time we did this, you gave me four. I'm just going to throw uh, that out there. When I was editing it, I went through and counted and giggled. Like, ah, you only gave me four. Uh, <laughs> so here we go. Diamantenenses. Beautiful. Uh, my new favorite. Although mine turned out to be male. Little bugger. But uh, it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, Murinus, OBT. Oh, absolutely. You you have to have an yep. OBT. Um, Pozzilotheria. So any pokey. Yeah. It's like trying to pick your favorite kid. Honestly, it's hard. People ask me all the time, and one of them called me on. It's like you gave three different answers on some of your comments. Like, yep, it'll be a different one the next time they ask me. I'm just Absolutely. running through all of them. Like, I love them all. I, it's it's hard to pick. Well, there's so many of them. Yep, you know? and they're and all it, gorgeous. If you Absolutely. like the look of them, that's it. They're all gorgeous. Ah, <sighs> that's three. Um, H Mac, you got to have an H Mac. Billy's favorite. 
you know, you have to have uh, a maculata in your collection. And I happen to have a male and a female that are more or less, they probably came from the same sack. Um, and man, any of the Alfonopelmas, I'll go back to Alfonopelma and say that you got to have at least one. I have a Morea in my collection that's, uh, that I sexed teeny, teeny, tiny. We've had this discussion uh, yeah, about an inch and a half and it's a female. So I'm looking forward to, you're starting now. I'm really starting to start to see, you know, that Sita that comes out in the abdomen, you know, that yeah. reddish uh, hue. So I'm, I'm jealous. Like, wow. <laughs> Mine's been a chubby little about just over a half an inch for a while now. And <laughs> like that molt's got to come someday. Four months. The last um, moat. I, I got to double check on this one because I think I got that one killed right now because I think it's probably closer to like six, seven months. Wow. Four it, months in primo, I'm saying. Mine. Oh, okay, okay. Four months. That's, yeah. That's, uh, it's really a fun though. I'm hoping That teeny tiny. Yeah, I'm hoping someday I have a bunch of them and I love them and I keep getting people that say, hey, can you do an update? And I'm like, hey, go back to the last update I did where they're all little brown spiders. And pretty much that's it. That's what I've got right now. They're in the same containers. Like they're just grow so slowly for me. The only one that grew slightly faster was I think it was my annex grew fairly quickly overall. But the majority of them super slow. And I think it's my feeding. Uh, it has to do probably with the feeding schedule. I mean, I get large crickets that are really not large crickets. Gotcha. You, know, you get large crickets that are sold to you as large, and I'm looking yep. at the bag going, "What? What, yeah, what, what is, is this? this?" And I tend to either feed large crickets to whoever needs large crickets or pre-kill yep larger i go above the size normally even for the slings i pre-kill them you know and many occasions what i'll do is i'll just take the head off and i'll drop in a larger prey item gotcha. pre-killed for these slings and then and let them feed off it all day yeah but i'm and again my cycle is very different i i'm not your typical all oh, feed you know multiple times during the week yep i'll usually do that one feed one even if they're one. slings but it's a large meal uh, so that I can space it out. Yeah. I can't argue with I'm that. sure that's got something to do with it. Yeah. And plus you're down in Florida, I'm guessing your temperatures are probably a little warmer. They are. And, but I, you know, it's funny. I still keep a very small, one of those, uh, little portable heaters that you plug into the wall. Oh, really? You get on Amazon yeah. just to keep the room at, at a constant 70, cause we have central air. Like, oh forget. yeah. I always forget. Yep. Down there. We you're have gonna central have your, AC yep. and yep. At night, we sleep relatively low. Yeah. You know, six, we put that, you know, we'll crank it down to oh, like God, 68 yeah. Fahrenheit. So I need to keep that room. I, I don't gotcha. want to get yeah, down so. to 68. Yeah. Okay. So, so well, I keep it at a constant 75 and everyone's happy in there. Including, yeah, that's about what mine is. So yeah, your, temp, your temps are pretty much the same. So never mind with that one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well. Well, it's funny because I'm working on a video now which I did the podcast for of my fastest growing species and I'm waiting for it to come out because I know usually what ends up happening is people have ones that run laps around mine. And it's like I've kept pretty much the same feeding schedules, the same temperatures. It's, it's a little warmer now in this house. And I think it's going to be a little warmer in this room during the summer. So we'll see if things change. But that's always been the running joke because I'll, I'll post something up and go, yeah, this one's been kind of a slower growing. Like, you kidding me? Mine matured in a year. Like, what the heck? So I think that, it's feeding. You know, I, I'm almost convinced that it has more to do with uh, with feeding schedules than it does with uh, with temperature. I'm sure temperature plays a role, but when you start to you gather data from people and they start to tell you that they kind of keep them at the same constant 74, 75, 77, 78. Uh, I don't know. See, I just like, get. I don't I, know. I've noticed in the summertime when it gets warm, like really warm, my mm -hmm. mind molt through the molts go through the roof. 
Like, that's the spot where I notice, like, as soon as, like, the wintertime, you, you get your molds through the winter. But as soon as those summer months come along, bang, 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 we start getting all these molds. That might, yeah. I mean, so, so I guess, I mean, I take for but granted it, that the temperatures in this house are so steady yeah. year round. And that, again, probably does play a part. Well, we did it. We managed to pull um, about four hours of material <laughs> between this one and the last one. So we'll and it consolidate it and give it all in 30 minutes. No, we'll, we'll do this and we'll do the director's cut, the original one. People can com- compare and decide which one they like better. But for 19.99, you two can have your copy. We'll... <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, so thank you again so Absolutely. much for coming on. Again, no, we've my already identified fun. other topics that we'll definitely cover in the future because. For me, just having somebody to bounce off and somebody I get along with and very comfortable with, it's fun to just talk tarantulas. And hopefully people enjoyed this, what came out of it. I love the fact that I hopefully gave we gave people something to think about. And as far as the hobby is concerned, hopefully some folks will come out and check out the, your Facebook group, Arachnino, and join. I'm sure there's going to be folks that are like, this is perfect. This is the place I've been looking for. And what I'm hoping is in the very least, everybody stopped and thought a little bit during this about some topics that we often don't cover because we we want to present the hobby in a good light. We want to present the hobby in a way that, you know, makes us feel excited to be part of it. And I think that is a good thing. But I also think it's time sometimes to take a step back and look at the other levels of the hobby. And Agreed. hopefully we did it in a way that people aren't going to go, you know, we're like the two, what are the two old men in the Muppets there? They're just sitting there crapping all over everything. It, it's <laughs> never about that. It's just, I think we are two people that recognized it, love the hobby, absolutely love the hobby. It's a huge hey, part of our life. did you just listen to Tom Moran's podcast? Yeah. God, that guy's <laughs> a jerk. What happened? Yeah, I, I'm No, ho- I think pause. I think pause is, uh, pause is a good thing, especially yeah. in the world, in the day we're living in right now and with everything that's transpired over the last year. Uh, if you give people pause, even if they're not that type of person, I, and I think we've done that here, uh, they'll think about these things yep. and they'll mold them over in their heads. I don't care if it's for five minutes, but that's, it, it, I think it's a just, positive. Just to, I, I think that's beautifully put. I think we're going to end it on that note. So yep. thank you again. As always, if you guys want to find me, I'm on tomsbigspiders.com, which I'll do my old thing where I have written a bunch of articles for it. I just haven't polished them up. So I do want to, this rolling into the summer, we're going to get that rolling again. And then obviously on YouTube, Luis Roque, thank you so much for joining me. This has been amazing. It, it's even better the second time. <laughs> thank you. Thank you uh, for having me. Uh, it was fun. We'll, 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 we'll do this. Oh, sure we're we'll definitely do this doing this again. This is Absolutely. more fun than sitting there talking to myself in a hot tarantula room, I'll tell you that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right. You guys have a good one. Stay safe, and we'll catch you all next time.